Chapter One of Arema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Arema, or My Father's Sin, by R. D. Blackmore, written in 1877. Chapter One: A Lost landmark quote, the sins of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me unquote. these are the words that have followed me always this is the curse which has fallen on my life if i had not known my father if i had not loved him if i had not closed his eyes in desert silence deeper than the silence of a grave even if I could have buried and bewailed him duly, the common business of this world and the universal carelessness might have led me down the general track that leads to nothing. Until my father fell and died, I never dreamed that he could die. I knew that his mind was quite made up to see me safe in my new home, and then himself to start again for still remoter solitudes. And when his mind was thus made up, who had ever known him fail of it? If ever a resolute man there was, that very man was my father, and he showed it now in this his last and fatal act of his fatal life. Captain, here I leave you all, he shouted to the leader of our wagon train at a place where a dark, narrow gorge departed from the moilsome mountain track. My reasons are my own. Let no man trouble himself about them. All my baggage I leave with you. I have paid my share of the venture, and shall claim it at Sacramento. My little girl and I will take this shortcut through the mountains. General, answered the leader of our train, standing up on his board in amazement. Forgive and forget, sir, forgive and forget. What is a hot word spoken hotly? If not for your own sake, at least come back for the sake of your young daughter. A fair haven to you, replied my father. He offered me his hand, and we were out of sight of all that wearisome, drearisome, uncompanionable company, with whom for eight long weeks at least we had been dragging our rough way. I had known in a moment that it must be so, for my father never argued argument to his mind was a very nice amusement for the week my spirits rose as he swung his bearskin bag upon his shoulder and the last sound of the laboring caravan groaning in the distance and the fresh air and the freedom of the mountains moved around us it was the twenty-ninth of may oak apple day in england and to my silly youth this vast extent of snowy mountains was a nice place for a cool excursion. Moreover, from day to day I had been in most wretched anxiety, as long as we remained with people who could not allow for us. My father, by his calm reserve and dignity and largeness, had always among European people kept himself secluded, but now in this rough life, so pent in trackless tracks and pressed together by perpetual peril everybody's manners had been growing free and easy 
Every man had been compelled to tell, as truly as he could, the story of his life thus far, to amuse his fellow creatures. Every man, I mean, of course, except my own poor father. Some told their stories every evening, until we were quite tired, although they were never the same twice over. But my father could never be coaxed to say a syllable more than, I was born, and I shall die. This made him very unpopular with the men, although all the women admired it, and if any rough fellow could have seen a sign of fear, the speaker would have been insulted. But his manner and power of his look were such that, even after ardent spirits, no man saw fit to be rude to him. Nevertheless, there had always been the risk of some sad outrage. Erema, my father said to me, when the dust from the rear of the caravan was lost behind a cloud of rocks, and we too stood in the wilderness alone. Do you know, my own Erema, why I bring you from them? Oh, father, dear, how should I know? You have done it, and it must be right. It is not for their paltry insults. Child, you know what I think all that. It is for you, my only child, that I am doing what now I do. I looked up into his large, sad eyes without a word, in such a way that he lifted me up in his arms and kissed me, as if I were a little girl instead of a maiden just fifteen. This he had never done before, and it made me a little frightened. He saw it and spoke on the spur of the thought, though still with one arm round me. Perhaps you will live to be thankful, my dear, that you had a stern, cold father. So will you meet the world all the better, and, little one, you will have a rough world to meet. For a moment I was quite at a loss to account for my father's manner. But now, in looking back, it is so easy to see into things. At the time I must have been surprised and full of puzzled eagerness. Not half so well can I recall the weakness, anguish, and exhaustion of body and spirit afterward. It may have been three days of wandering, or it may have been a week. Even more than that, for all that I can say for certain. Whether the time were long or short, it seemed as if it would never end. My father believed that he knew the way to the house of an old settler at the western foot of the mountains, who had treated him kindly some years before, and with whom he meant to leave me until he had made arrangements elsewhere. If we had only gone straight away hither, nightfall would have found us safe beneath that hospitable roof. My father was vexed, as I well remember, at coming, as he thought, in sight of some great landmark, and finding not a trace of it. Although his will was so very strong, his temper was good about little things. He never began to abuse all the world because he had made a mistake himself. Erema, he said, at this corner where we stand there ought to be a very large pine tree in sight, or rather a great redwood tree, at least twice as high as any tree that grows in Europe, or Africa even. From the plains it can be seen for a hundred miles or more. It stands higher up the mountainside than any other tree of even half its size, and that makes it so conspicuous. 
My eyes must be failing me from all this glare, but it must be in sight. Can you see it now? I see no tree of any kind whatever, but scrubby brushes and yellow tufts and, oh, father, I am so thirsty. Naturally, but look again. It stands on a ridge, the last ridge that bars the view of all the lowland. It is a very straight tree and regular like a mighty column, except that on the northern side the wind from the mountains has torn a gap in it. Are you sure that you cannot see it? a long way off but conspicuous father i am sure that i cannot see a tree as half as large as a broomstick far or near i see no tree then my eyes are better than my memory we must cast back for a mile or two but it cannot make much difference through the dust in the sand i began to say but a glance from him stopped my murmuring and the next thing i can call to mind must have happened a long time afterward. Beyond all doubt in this desolation, my father gave his life for mine. I did not know it at the time, nor had the faintest dream of it, being so young and weary, worn, and obeying him by instinct. It is a fearful thing to think of, now that I can think of it. But to save my own little worthless life, I must have drained every drop of water from his flat half-gallon jar. The water was hot, and the cork-hole sandy, and I grumbled even while drinking it. And what must my father, who was dying all the while for a drop, but never took one, what must he thought of me? But he never said a word, so far as I remember, and that makes it all the worse for me. We had strayed away into a dry, volcanic district of the mountains, where all the snow rivers run out quite early, and of natural springs there was none forthcoming. All we had to guide us was a little traveler's compass, whose needle stuck fast on the pivot with sand, and the glaring sun when he came to sight behind the hot, dry, driving clouds. The clouds were very low and flying almost in our faces like vultures sweeping down upon us. To me, they seemed to shriek over our heads at the others rushing after them. But my father said they could make no sound, and I never contradicted him. End of chapter 1